Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Dr. Lavina Jatani. I am a fellow at the UT Health McGovern Medical School program in spinal cord injury, and I'm here to talk with Dr. Hernandez and Dr. Longoni about uh, the topic of global health, a committee's mission to address disparities in the delivery of healthcare to patients with spinal cord injury in Latin America. Uh, I'll introduce myself, followed by the other speakers. Uh, so my name, as I mentioned, is Dr. Lavina Jatani. I completed my medical school uh, in 2016 at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School in Newark, New Jersey. I then did my intern year in medicine as part of my residency at Jersey Shore University Medical Center in Neptune, New Jersey for, from 2016 to 2017. I then completed my residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at the Temple University Moss Rehabilitation Program in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 2020. And as I mentioned, I'm now a fellow in spinal cord injury in Houston, Texas. I am joined by Dr. Hernandez and Dr. Longoni. Dr. Hernandez joined the Tier Memorial Hermann Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation's medical staff in January of 2017. He received his medical degree from the Universidad de Guadalajara in Guadalajara, Mexico in 2004. Dr. Hernandez completed an internship in, in internal medicine at Pinnacle Health Hospitals in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and his residency at the Baylor College of Medicine McGovern Medical School Alliance Program in Houston, Texas in 2010. He completed a clinical fellowship in spinal cord injury medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington in 2011, and an advanced fellowship in spinal cord injury medicine at the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System in Seattle, Washington in 2013. He then practiced for three years at the Kansas University Medical Center in Kansas City, Kansas, serving as medical director of spinal cord injury services and as an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Dr. Hernandez is an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation 
at the McGovern Medical School at UT Health. As an attending physician at TIER, Dr. Hernandez's primary focus is caring for patients recovering from spinal cord injuries. He's board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation with a subspecialty certification in spinal cord injury medicine. He is fluent in both English and Spanish. Dr. Longoni de Gusto is a medical director of the Radel Rehabilitation Center and director of disability of the municipality of Ituzango, Ministry of Health in Buenos Aires. She is scientific advisor for the B. Brown Medical Argentina and professor of the Diploma in Wound Care of AIACH, the Argentine Interdisciplinary Association for Wound Healing at the UAI University, also in Buenos Aires. She's also scientific secretary of the AIACH from 2019 to 2021 and is president AMLAR resident, the Latin American Medical Rehabilitation Association for Residents. She is also a member of CLAGIR, the Latin American Committee for Rehabilitation Research, and member of the Americas Committee of Asia, as well as member of SAMFYR, the Argentine Society of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. So I think we should get started by introducing the Americas Committee mission and how and when the Americas Committee was started. Hi, this is Isaac Hernandez, and thanks Dr. Jatani for hosting this podcast and to Dr. Zhang and the PMNR uh, department for inviting us to participate. To answer your question, I think I would start out by saying that roughly speaking, um, the Americas Committee has existed within Asia for about three years or so. It was all, it, this is the brainchild of um, Dr. Keith Tansley and uh, Dr. Camilo Castillo, who shortly after putting this idea together, um, invited me to, to participate, which I was thrilled to do so. And um, I think that we're all very proud of everything that we've been able to accomplish in a relatively short period of time um, in, in collaborating with our colleagues in Latin America. Um, and I guess that answers your second question. The first question has, uh, to do in terms of our, our goals and our mission is essentially to be able to collaborate with anyone and anybody um, in Latin America that has an interest in spinal cord injury um, so that we can together bring spinal cord medicine to the forefront and be able to assist in any way possible in providing the best possible care for spinal cord injury patients in that region of the world. Um, Dr. Langoni, anything that you would add? Well, I started working in the company this past year. I met uh, Isaac in 2000, 2020, in, a, in I think it was January. And we started working very hard this past year. And we gather a very large group of people um, that are very interested in working with spinal cord injuries. So it's been an amazing adventure for all, for all of us. And we think we accomplished a lot of things and we are very, very happy. So now we are working with different groups of uh, a lot of professionals, different professionals that treat patients with spinal cord injury. We have groups of um, PMR specialists, uh, residents, uh, physical therapists, 
OT, psychologists, nurses. So uh, we are very happy of uh, that everything that we did actually uh, got a very um, a very good. Um, People really, really liked and enjoy uh, working with us. So uh, I think this is very, very exciting for us. Thank you. Have you heard from any physicians in Latin America or uh, Dr. Longoni yourself uh, who have changed their practice because of your outreach as the Americas Committee? and any specific uh, examples would be great. Yes, um, this this past year, actually one of the, the main things that we did was translating um, all of the articles of the primary care um, guidelines of Asia into Spanish. And that was something very, um, very useful for a, for a lot of people in Latin America, because in Latin America, we don't, uh, actually um, read that much in English. And when we study uh, spinal cord injury, we don't have that many uh, things written in Spanish. So one of the, this, this actually, these translations into Spanish were, was something that um, we really needed. And we started using it for primary care in not only in, in physicians, but also in the other uh, health providers. Uh, that treat patients with spinal cord injury. And actually now uh, some of universities in Latin America, such as one in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, and another one here in Argentina, are using those guidelines uh, to, to teach uh, the, the, the pre-med uh, pre students um, how to treat patients with spinal cord injury. I think that was something that is really, really amazing because we don't have that kind of um, uh, training in, when we study medicine here in Latin America. So I think that's like our, our main uh, thing that we did last year. And and one thing that I would I would add, in, in addition to of course being in agreement with everything that Dr. Longoni just shared, is that um, on a very regular basis, and usually it is through Dr. Longoni, but people are, are, are uh, based on what she's telling us, people are starting to recognize or realize that there's a group in the region um, that is, you know, out there helping out and, and sharing um, uh, educational tools. And so oftentimes they reach out to either Dr. Longoni or other team members down in South America with, with different questions. You know, it could be a very general question in terms of Hey, how about literature on this specific topic? For for instance, you know, aging in spinal cord injury, or how about a more specific question related to to uh, a very specific clinical case? Needless to say, we are unable to to make specific recommendations, um, but we are able to to discuss the um, the whatever the issue may be going on um, amongst ourselves as colleagues. And that's also been very insightful for us to gain an understanding, you know, what kind of tools, resources, uh, know-how is available, what specific medications are or not available in, in different regions. And that varies from country to country. So whatever medication may be available in one city or in one country does not necessarily equate to what's available in a different country. So we're also learning from that point of view and able through uh, um, this kind of back and forth 
to provide some general, you know, uh, ideas or, or, or brainstorming as to um, what what a specific um, situation that's going on may be from. Um, and so the the other thing that I would say is that, and perhaps we'll we'll have the chance later on to expand on it. But it's been really really exciting to to not only potentially have an impact, quote unquote, on the clinical side of things with the uh, guidelines that um, Dr. Longoni was just talking about, but also have an impact on other aspects such as um, involving some of our colleagues in Latin America with uh, research that we're pursuing and really many, many other ideas that we're currently working on either, you know, at, literally as we speak or that we have on our to-do list to kind of help uh, not only promote spinal cord injury in the region, but getting more people involved to to help their patients best. That's really great that you have been able to reach a lot of people and a lot of providers, um, and even down to pre-med students. It's very impressive. Have you seen an increased trend of uh, younger professionals going into physical medicine and rehab or into spinal cord injury as a specialty? Definitely. We actually had a lot of um, people asking uh, where can they train, if they can go to the U.S. or if they can go to different countries. Actually, we were seeing a lot of residents asking specifically to be trained in spinal cord injury. And only been like in a year of really hard work. So I think we're going to have a lot of uh, more uh, people getting involved in this. Uh, actually, our PMR residence group has already 120 residents working uh, with us. So I think it's going to be uh, something that people are going to be more interested um, as, as the time goes by. And, and I think that's part of what is very, very, very exciting is the fact that um, um, this number that Dr. Longoni just shared about um, over 100 residents involved in our work group, that number uh, was put together in, I think it was 24 or 48 hours. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the call for people interested went out through different, uh, you know, social media platforms and, and, and whatnot. And within a day or two, we, we were over 100, which was impressive. And it's also very encouraging to hear, you know, that the young, uh, you know, up and coming uh, either trainees or young attendings are very, very interested in this topic, at least based on my experience. And I, I did um, um, a little bit over a year of rehab residency in, in Mexico before moving to the US, is that rehab, at least in Mexico, is um, very oriented for the most part towards uh, musculoskeletal medicine and electrodiagnostics. Um, there is a neurological component, but a lot of people um, are, are very attracted towards the MSK and pain side of things. So um, if for some reason that is also applicable to the rest of the Latin American region, just to find this amount of residents interested in neuro rehab is very exciting. And um, the, the other piece that I would uh, that I would share is that um, the enthusiasm has been extraordinary. It's not just people that passively have been wanting to, you know, maybe listening onto a webinar or something, but rather want to be hands-on, do whatever it takes. And we've also been very impressed by some of our residents that we work with on their own and with the help of their own mentors in their local hospitals have tried to put different 
different uh, uh, documents and protocols together to try to guide how spinal cord injury patients are managed in their in their own facilities. And one of the things that they've been um, you know bringing up to us is we want to standardize care, and I think that's one of our big bigger long term missions, if at all possible. So we're certainly keeping that on our radar too. Uh, speaking residents and residencies and training um, new physicians, what is the availability of uh, PM&R residency or a rehab unit um, or specialized physical and occupational therapy in Latin American countries? And I know that might differ by country. Okay, so what I would say is, um, and this is actually one of the projects we're also currently working on, Thanks to Dr. Longoni and her network of, of connections in the region, she has been able to put together uh, like a master list of all the PM&R programs in the entire region. And she'll give us the exact number in a minute. I think it's 110 programs, give or take. And so our goal is to, um, you know, we want to reach out to all of them and so that we can, again, continue to collaborate, catch people early on and be able to, to connect with those that have a particular interest in spinal cord injury or help develop that interest. Um, and so unlike, for instance, um, in the US where you can just log on and um, at least when I did my training, there was the Frida website uh, where you just get a full list of all the programs in the country and um, you know email addresses and, and program coordinator and director uh, phone numbers and addresses to connect with, that is non-existent. And so Dr. Longoni had to do this manually, um, essentially put that list together on her own with help from, from her uh, contacts. And so that in itself maybe gives us a good insight into how um, both how big the, the region is, how um, independently, if you will, one, one group is working from the other within a country and within a region. And um, that also goes to show the differences in, in in, from country to country in terms of like availability to rehab. You can go from one country like uh, Mexico, that is uh, one of the few, if not the only one that offers neuro rehab as a fellowship. There is no spinal cord injury fellowship in Latin America, but the closest to it is neuro rehab where you're exposed, of course, to SCI, TBI, stroke, et cetera. My understanding is that there's about 30 neuro rehabilitation professionals in Mexico. Um, and I believe that there are people from other parts of the region that have trained in Mexico and then gone back to their home countries to implement that. But overall, it's it's a very, very small field, subfield within the rehab field. In terms of inpatient rehab units, I think that also varies a lot from country to country. But my understanding, for instance, is that Mexico only has two units. And one of them that is with a, a National Rehab Institute, I believe has only about 20 beds. And that is not exclusive to SCI. That's just across the board for the city and in a way for the country. Um, I'll let Dr. Longoni in a minute tell us about what she knows about other countries and their inpatient rehab units. But I do know from her that I believe there are certain countries that don't even have uh, a rehab residency training or at least didn't for a while until it got jump started again. Um, but I'll let her expand on countries like Ecuador and Paraguay because she knows those details even more. So we have like 120 different residencies and actually we are like 6,000 physiatrists for 20 countries. That's very, very low. 
Uh, in Argentina, we are around 455 uh, BMR doctors for 44 million people. And actually, we have different, like 10 or 12 uh, different residencies, and each residency had uh, its own uh, program. So it's very hard to have um, a, the same information for everybody. Uh, sometimes uh, one of the residents, for, in, uh, for instance, here in Argentina is uh, you have to be, you have you get like um, Pete's uh, PMR doctors, you get to be a PMR doctor for kids or for pediatrics and you get the same um, degree as another PMR doctor. So you treat we have to treat everything that comes through the door. We have to treat uh, spinal cord injury, stroke, uh, musculoskeletal or amputees. Uh, whatever comes through the door. So we don't have this spe specific uh, specialization in spinal cord injury. So it's very hard for us because you have to imagine that in Latin America, uh, the only doctors that treat spinal cord injury are PM doctors. And, and even so, we are very, very uh, few. So what we're trying to do with this is to because we think that if we get the information for everybody and we train everybody from uh, from from the residency, uh, the patients will have um, less complications and will have a better quality of life. Uh, nowadays, we have patients uh, of 40, 50 years, 50 year old patients that live far away from the big cities where they can have actually um, the, the attention of a PMR doctor, and we're having patients that are dying from from I don't know uh, UTIs or um, of uh, infected wounds, um, and we don't want to see that because people don't know how to treat these patients, and they are dying very very young. So uh, we are trying to get to everybody and uh, to get information for everybody, not only to PMR doctors because actually we're seeing that we are very very few. So we are got, we're trying to get to uh, to the physical therapists that see patients with spinal cord injuries or the OTs or the nurses to try to train everybody to reduce these complications and to actually give the patients a better chance uh, for for living and getting a better quality of life. Uh, we don't have um, that many inpatient facilities in Latin America. Patients actually go home after they go to the ICUs and they get ambulatory uh, rehab in the best cases. Uh, but we have patients that don't get rehabilitation at all. So we are trying to to we're, we're trying to develop some tools for for patients, for families, and for uh, the physicians and the providers to try to um, uh, to get to them. And um, one of the things that I Isaac was saying is that in some countries we don't even have uh, PMR residences. Actually, uh, Paraguay was one of the countries that started their uh, residency again. Uh, I think it was 2019. So uh, we are really supporting them uh, to get their uh, residency. We're, we're supporting everybody. So we have this uh, this network with all the residents. We have one resident uh, in each country that represents all the residents in that country. So uh, we are communicating through WhatsApp. That's our main communicating uh, media. 
So um, we can support everybody in their weaknesses. So it's very hard. It takes a lot of work. And well, we're trying. So um, this is what, what's going on in spinal cord injury in Latin America and rehab in general. Thank you. You also mentioned that there has been a lot of communication through social media, and we have seen that virtual learning platforms and virtual communication platforms have grown in popularity during the pandemic. Do you think because of that, uh, these virtual platforms will be even more impactful going forward and even more used? I th I'd like to go first on this one because um, I'd like to say something that I, that myself and, and Camilo Castillo, who's also, again, like I said, this is his brainchild, we always talk about regarding Dr. Longoni, and that is that she was uh, ahead, of our ahead of her time and certainly ahead of our time up here in, in North America, in that uh, herself and her team down in Latin America were able to um, figure out a way to communicate and to educate their uh, their peers with the use of um, um, webinars, basically, which they were doing on a weekly basis way before the pandemic started. So when the pandemic actually started and the rest of the world transitioned to that format, they were ahead of schedule. So it was an easy transition for them. In my opinion, um, regarding the question moving forward, in many ways, perhaps, there's not a significant alternative, at least not in the near future, in my opinion, because even if the pandemic ends, you know, the um, geographical and financial restrictions will remain there, both in terms of Latin America being such a large region, and um, except for, for some countries, um, Brazil stands out in terms of the language barrier, because uh, of course they speak Portuguese and not Spanish, but for the most part, otherwise, most countries have the, the same language in common. And for that reason, it makes it way more um, easy and accessible to just put together different talks and webinars and just different kinds of events and also to share information through the different platforms and make it very easy. And so even if the pandemic is over, because of those limitations, that may be for at least several things. Um, if not the only choice, probably the best choice. The, the only flip side to that that I can think of, at least in a major way, and I think that we experience that here in the US too, I know for sure through Dr. Longoni, they're experiencing it in Latin America, is a little bit of a, you know, of a virtual or webinar burnout. Because essentially for the past year, that has been the main way of learning, at least, uh, you know, as it relates to uh, classroom learning, if you will. And so, um, for instance, uh, uh, amongst us, we, we kind of took a break from this during December and January, where we're kind of gearing up for restarting um, probably the next month or so. Um, but I think that has also been beneficial because there's only so much you can do. And um, there's only so many times that you can do this, right? Um, and there are certain things that we're very interested in sharing. For instance, when, when I met Dr. Longoni down in, in Peru last year, I was there to do a, um, a workshop on the Inski exam. I think she was there to do a workshop on pressure sores and, and things like that. So although there are ways probably, at least to a certain extent, to do workshops, uh, virtually, there's certainly no substitute for doing certain things hands-on. And so there is that that limitation or restriction, but I definitely feel that at least a part of learning and educating uh, virtually is here to stay because it's just so easy and so convenient, and it allows us to reach a, a way larger audience, um, certainly in Latin America. Meli? 
Yes, I actually agree 100% with you. Um, we started these webinars uh, a long time ago because we were seeing that people couldn't get out of the countries because of uh, money, incomes, uh, or whatever. Uh, and we started doing them for the residents. And after we started doing for the residents, all the doctors and the specialists started to join. So we got like in each, each uh, we did on Thursday, no, sorry, on Wednesday, and we got uh, like three, between 300 and 500 people uh, watching them uh live every every wednesday night so that was amazing because we got to 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 take this information to to everybody especially for people like uh, in venezuela that they cannot leave the country or cuba or some of the countries that have really low uh incomes and they cannot get um they cannot go to 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 conferences they cannot travel and actually in, in some of the countries, uh, the residents have to pay uh, to get uh, through the residencies. So it's not easy for the residents to to have information uh, of uh, leaders in 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 the world in some um, rehabilitation issues or or themes. So this was amazing because we had uh, lectures from uh, Isaac, and we have lectures from Camilo, we have lectures from uh, Dr. Eskenazi, we have lectures from the top of the top of uh, rehabilitation that actually we cannot see them if we don't go to these uh, really fancy uh, conferences. And that was amazing. And I think that we are going to keep doing that because um, after we did everything, we we always do like a survey or something like that to get people to say how they felt, if they think that was useful, and everybody thinks uh, that was something that they don't want to lose. So we are going to keep doing them. And I know that the pandemic is like uh, gave us like a lot of webinars all the time, all the time, all the time. But actually, we were doing this a lot time before and. Actually, we get people once a week uh, for an hour and an hour and a half uh, watching their computer or whatever, uh, like between 300 or 500 people. So I think this is something that we are going to keep and keep doing because of those reasons. Sort of the flip side of that coin um, since the America's Committee is relatively new and has uh, been operational for a long time under the pandemic, have your efforts been negatively impacted by the pandemic? I think you already mentioned that there's less in-person learning, uh, and I, I'm sure that we can all, all appreciate that, uh, but have physicians been pulled to other services uh, to treat COVID patients or um, has there been any other negative impacts because of the pandemic? Okay, we know that uh, some of the rehabilitation services have been shut down. For instance, in Costa Rica, the Senare, which is the, the place of rehabilitation for people with uh, different diseases, spinal cord injuries and stroke or whatever. And actually uh, there, uh, the residency of physical medicine and rehabilitation in Costa Rica is there. And they uh, changed uh, the services uh, to to start um, treating COVID. So a lot of people with uh, that needs rehabilitation in Latin America are not receiving it because the, some of the 
of the places that actually treat uh, rehabilitation had to train to um, COVID facilities. So what we, we started doing was a lot of telemedicine that actually we were doing that before as well. Um, as I told you before, one of the, our main uh, communication systems is WhatsApp. And actually, we are very used to, to treat patients through WhatsApp or telemedicine because patients have to, there's Argentina, for instance, is very vast. And we have patients from all over. I have patients from uh, Ushuaia, which is the, the the bottom of the bottom of the world, and some patients from the from near Iwasu Falls, and I have patients living in the Andes. So uh, that this is something that we were doing uh, some time before that we try to see the patients in their ecological. Um, uh, how do I say this? Like homes and uh, how the environment. Uh, home environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, we have to, to change our system uh, from rehabilitation to some of COVID facilities. But we started doing more of this, more rehabil tele-rehabilitation. And I think it was very good because we started seeing the patients in their home environments and we started telling them, well, you can use this to do some, uh, some I don't know, exercises. And if you have your bed like there, you can move it over there so you can do. And also we can see how the family interacts. And I think that was a good thing. So on my end, what I would also include, um, speaking a little bit more directly on, on our experience uh, from the committee, um, how we have been impacted in our efforts, two, two major things come to mind. On the one hand, one of the big goals we had initially was to facilitate observerships. Um, I'm a big proponent of observerships because I was once upon a time one of one of them. Um, and that is part of what allowed me, um, I believe, to, to pursue my training here in the U.S. As a foreign medical graduate, once you graduate, you cannot come to the U.S. to do a, a, a rotation like a med student would do an elective here in the U.S. So our only way of, uh, or it's not the only way, but one of the few ways to engage, if you will, with the um, U.S. medical system is by doing an observership where you essentially come to a hospital or to a program and shadow the, the different providers and, and uh, you know, the di different services um, during a, uh, a limited period of time. And in that way, you're able to connect with, um, you know, with, with physicians, with therapists, with, with um with patients and just gain a better understanding of how the US medical system works because it's very different compared to oftentimes our home countries. And so I'm a big proponent of that because that helped me in my in my career a lot. And I've met and tried to help people along the way since just like they helped me uh, uh, when I was trying to come. And so I understand the very high value of, of facilitating this as much as possible. Um, at Here at UT, we certainly have a program that uh, has allowed this in the past. Um, it is actually the way in which I ended up in Peru one year ago, um, where one of our observers, uh, Jose Neira, who is from Peru and spent, um, I think it was one or two months with us here. Um, he took a lot, uh, I believe, from his experience here. And so he invited myself and many of my colleagues to Peru to present on different topics. And so that has, um, um, we hope and think, you know, enhance uh, 
providers in Peru's ability to provide SEI care and not only SEI, but specificity care. That's been one of the big things that Jose has been wanting to focus on for his um, colleagues back in Peru. So that's a big, big, big part of um, what our, our, our projects include. But because of the pandemic, all of this is shut down, uh, plain and simple. And so we're hopeful and eager that we can work on enhancing this further once the pandemic is gone to facilitate people not only coming to UT, of course, but in general to the US if that is their interest. But I know that there's also people in Latin America interested in rotating elsewhere within the region, which was happening in the past and which as far as we know is also kind of on hold right now. So there are there are limitations and there's a big impact happening there. And the other thing that I think has had a big impact is, for instance, um, we were supposed to be this last fall um, in Bolivia for a, a big meeting, um, AMLAR's meeting, which is the biggest rehab association in, in Latin America, for their um, meeting that takes place, I believe, every two years. And uh, of course, everything was canceled. And we were really looking forward to that. We're hoping that it can happen next year. But that is, needless to say, another way in which we can share um, what we're trying to do and connect with other um, other people involved in this with same interest and um, be able to continue to grow what we're doing. And I think that's not stopping us. Um, again, um, at a distance and virtually we're able to do it. But again, there are some, some things that there's just no substitute to actually doing them in person, right? And so we're hopeful to, to we've been impacted by that, but we're hopeful to pick up where we left off as soon as possible. Thank you. It sounds like your organization is working on education in many different ways in many different directions. Do you guys have a point person or a provider in every country? And how have you uh, so far been able to grow to reach more and more countries and more regions in Latin America? I think, I think that's a great question for Dr. Longoni. Yes, we have. Um, we have not only providers, but um, I, I mean, not only PMR doctors, we have residents. And we are, are gathering a lot of other professionals uh, from different uh, professions like OTs and, uh, and physical therapists. And I think that is amazing because people are not only getting to know each other, they're, they're knowing the realities and, and the cultural differences between countries. And we have this, um, this group of people um, I think it was in 2012 when it was born, when we started um, La Res, which is the chapter of AMLAR of residents. Uh, we didn't have WhatsApp at, at, that, at that time. We have emails and that was really slow. Uh, and then when WhatsApp started we, and we started using it, we got uh, a lot of um, communication with, with all of the countries. So we have different groups of people and we have um, people from each one of the countries that have PMR um, residencies. I see, that's great. And what is the, what would you say right now, uh, the things that you are able to do given the pandemic, what is the single most important aspect of your outreach that you are working on right now or planning to start soon? I think I would say um, just the the nature of how things have, uh, uh, I think, organically happened within our group 
is that we are multitasking, um, and so there. I don't think there is one sole thing that I that that I would highlight just because there's just more than one thing. Um, you said it uh, just a minute ago, Dr. Jatani. I think that in in general, our, our our goal is geared towards education, and that can have many that can look many ways. But at the end of the day, that's the the our 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 end goal. And so, um, on the one hand. Uh, always wearing that educational hat, um, we have different things such as like we talked about those webinars that were kind of put on hold as a quote unquote um, academic season ended during the winter break and then kind of picking that up where we left off. We did start with a project um, last fall where we were creating flashcards. So in other words, like clinical pearls um, that would just show up literally in a, in a virtual flashcard that we plan on uh, distributing um, at this point once a month that just gives, you know, a provider, a trainee or, you know, a well-seasoned provider, just a nice little pearl to carry in their virtual pocket to use to with their patients or to teach. Uh, you know, we're working on the other, uh, we have a YouTube channel thanks to uh, through Asia that we're really uh, growing with where all of our different presentations that we've done over the past year are available for free. Um, we are uh, working on different research endeavors to try to, and this is how I've always thought about this project from a certain point of view. When we started, and if you look it up and try to look it out online through you know different databases, there is extremely very limited um, data available, both in terms of SCI patients and SCI providers or general rehab providers that work with SCI in Latin America. It's just not out there. Um, and so um, the way I look at it is, is that though that region of the world is kind of, um, um, you know, kind of gray colored and what we want to do is to give it a face, you know, paint it in color and be able to actually know who's doing it, where to do it, how to access it. And, and that's a, a lot of what we're trying to do. And part of it is also research, right? You know, generating small databases in different parts of the, of the region that can start giving us an idea of what that patient population looks like, because we can only assume, but as we can all imagine, every region and within a country, it's gonna be different. Um, there are some groups we know of, for instance, in Argentina and Colombia that already have um, small databases, but they are, you know, they belong to the one hospital or to the one uh, uh, patient group. Um, so we have to start somewhere. And so we have like different multi-pronged projects going on at once with um, different groups that have different databases that we're trying to grow as well. Um, uh, Dr. Longani has uh, like uh, um, one of her, her babies has to do with uh, trying to develop um, tools um, that uh, allow for easier access for for providers, um, you know, whether it's online or on your phone. So um, there is no one single answer, but what I can say is that there's many ways in which we're trying to do this, and they all gear towards the the, the same bottom line, which is help collaborating with our colleagues, involving them as much as uh, more and more. And um, allowing them to have all the all the tools hopefully needed to to care for this patient population. I don't know if uh, Meli, you have anything you would like to add. Yes, actually, um, we are getting like really really big. We're creating a big group, and when we are getting bigger, we're seeing a lot of people that are coming with great ideas that they have, but, but they cannot do it in their in their countries or in their facilities. But they're really really great ideas. So I think 
one of the main things that we're doing is communicating everybody so we can collaborate with everybody and try to uh, to be um, to, to be this big um, group of people trying uh, to do something together and all the efforts together in in one single direction and I think that is one of the main things because we have a lot of potential in the in, in a lot of people that were really lonely uh, before this so we are gathering every person that wants to work with this and all the ideas and everything so um uh, we have a lot a lot of ideas we we did a lot of things and one of the things that we actually we did last year as well is that we developed uh when when covid started uh in latin america which was in february uh through brazil uh in march we started to we didn't know anything like the rest of the world except for china uh we didn't know anything and we didn't know anything about rehabilitation so we started uh, gathering professionals and doing a, a call out for professionals in Latin America, the US and Spain. And uh, like 54 professionals from all these countries got together and we did um, a rehabilitation manual for, for COVID, uh, not only for respiratory complications, but also all the complications that you get from COVID. And we also did a special chapter in spinal cord injury uh for covid and this was like really something amazing because we didn't know anything about uh, spinal cord injury and covid so this was very helpful because not only we did the, that thing we also got uh all the information about and the data about the covid patients and spinal cord injury in latin america we were asking all of our colleagues from uh from the 20 countries to to uh quote unquote their patients. So uh, we started collecting data. I, I think this was uh, actually another thing project that we have. This, this one is from, from Isaac, Isaac's baby, <laughs> spinal cord injury and COVID. And I think one of the things that um, I really enjoy from this group is that everybody uh, is so uh, happy to be a part of, of something. And they feel that uh, they are not alone anymore and everything that people say it's taken into account and we we want to do uh, all, all of the wishes that everybody wants to come true. Thank you. It sounds like your organization and your team are working on some very current research which is always very helpful especially as it pertains to our special patient population with the pandemic. Uh, I had another question, switching gears a little bit. I have looked at some of your resources uh, for the Committee Americas on the Asia website, and I see that a lot of resources that I'm familiar with have been translated into Spanish. Um, and from working with Dr. Hernandez, I know that the Spanish in different countries can be very different. I was wondering if there are any resources that were already in Spanish um, or uh, if there are any resources that you guys have found maybe from Spain or would the Spanish uh, from resources coming from there be way too different? Uh, yeah, we have we had some things in Spanish, uh, mainly from the, the Spanish Society of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation that we also are collaborating 
We have some of the residents working with us as well because of the language. And uh, we started working really strong with them in a lot of uh, fields, not only spinal cord injury, but actually it was uh, kind of limited to their country. So it's not the same thing in Latin America. We can do like we can um, take things from another uh, country in Latin America, but actually not from the US or not from Spain because it's not the same thing. We don't have the same uh, patients. <laughs> we don't have the same patients with spinal cord injury. So we can use some things in Spanish. So this was very helpful for us uh, to translate everything into Spanish. We, did, we didn't have that much information in Spanish. So this was amazing. And I actually want to thank Isaac and Camila for, for doing this because None of this would be possible if, if it wasn't for them. Um, we were very lonely <laughs> before, and we saw that actually Latin America thought that Asia was something like really far away from us, that we study Asia's things, and it was something that, I don't know, you like uh, a rock star, which is that uh, very unreachable. So thanks to them, um, we we could get uh, really close to Asia, and we saw that Asia was really, really supportive of us. So I think that's amazing. I would also say to to that question that um, um, it, it it's been a lot of fun to to go through this translations together. Uh, let alone how how helpful we 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 think they have been based on the feedback that we've gotten, but. Um, it's also been fun from a language point of view because when translating, um, usually it's uh, an Argentinian, a Colombian, and a Mexican doing it. And so we each have our version of how to say something. And so there's some fun debates that have taken place to try to find the most neutral way of translating something that we feel is going to be understandable uh, to, to the biggest possible audience. And um, fortunately, it, we were an odd number, so there was usually a two, a two versus one, and that's really how we we ended up deciding which word we would keep. But I think that we were very, uh, very thorough or as thorough as we could be to try to make it as as good of, as a translation as possible with things such as the primary care guidelines. And um, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before uh, with one of our presentations in Asia before, where. Um, I think the committee's dream, um, certainly um, our, our committee's uh, chair, Camilo's dream is we, we would love at some point to have a version uh, um, in Spanish of, of if not everything, um, all the all the very high yield tools available in the Asia website available in Spanish. Um, that way, there's no no concerns about whether you know Google Translator did it did the translation the right way for someone working down in South America. And it's just kind of very accessible, very available to anyone in their in their primary language. So um, that has been a big a big endeavor of us, a very fun one, and one that I think is also one of the ones that has uh, uh, proven to be mm, one of the most successful ones, at least so far. And I will also say that some of the talks that we've put together or given have been with providers that speak in English. So it also it took us a little bit of a learning curve to figure out the best way to go about it to to keep people engaged and interested. But so what 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 we're doing more recently is we're getting their talks uh, pre-recorded, um, and then through one of our team members. Um, um, he's able to subtitle everything from English into Spanish, and that way it lives in YouTube uh, uh, 
available at any time. And although it's in English, it can be you know um, read in Spanish and make it very accessible that way too. And we have many other projects that relate to making more things available in Spanish in the future, both in terms of presentations and in writing. So we're excited about that too. And one of the cool things that I want to say is that actually the one the the team member that um, subtitles every uh, video actually it's a uh, it's a spinal cord injury patient with a C five uh, injury. So it's it's an effort and it's amazing. And he's a physical therapist as well. So yeah, he he he's a great guy. That's amazing. Is there anything either of you wanted to share about your committee that I have not asked about? The one thing I would say is um, for anyone out there that may be listening that has an interest in, in anything of what we have shared, would like to explore it a bit more, I would say reach out. Please feel free to reach out. Um, to and any one of us, Dr. Longoni, Dr. Castillo, or myself. Um, I don't know if the producers of this um, have the ability to communicate with, with those out there and make our, our contact information available, but um, I would encourage you, even if you're curious, to, to reach out. Um, you don't have to be bilingual to be part of this. We have several committee members that do not speak Spanish, but have uh, found great ways to, to participate and contribute, and that includes um, you know, doing summaries, giving presentations. Before the pandemic, a couple of our colleagues were scheduled to go um, and present for um, a big meeting uh, in, in, in the Caribbean in English. And so there's many different ways to, to contribute. And the other thing that I would say is feel free to contact us too from the point of view of if you're out there and have a patient um, that lives in Latin America yet was injured in the U.S., and that patient will be returning to their home country. We cannot promise you this, but there's a decent chance that we'll be able to find a provider in that patient's home country that has some degree of familiarity with spinal cord injury and that can continue to um, help meet those patients' needs once they're back home. Reach out to us. We have, through Dr. Longoni, a very big network at this point. Um, nothing to lose by asking and um, us we would always be very happy to try and facilitate any kind of connections or communications that may be available. Um, and other than that, I would just say thank you, Dr. Jatani, for hosting us. And thanks to Dr. Zhang and, and the rest of the UT team um, for inviting us to be part of this. We, um, we're, we're thrilled and we're very excited about both the podcast and the, um, um, what the committee is, is doing at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hernandez and Dr. Longoni for joining me. I hope you listeners have learned a lot from this podcast. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. 
We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.